All right. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Demand Gen Chat. Today, we are so thankful to be joined by Jason Woodup, who's the VP of Marketing over at Metadata, and Mark Huber, who is the Director of Growth. So welcome, guys. Hey, Kaylee. Thanks for having Absolutely. us on. Thanks for having us, Kaylee. So Jason, let's start with you. Can you walk us through a little bit about yourself, where you've been, and how your career landed you here at Metadata? Yeah, so I've, I've been here for coming up on a year and a half, or sorry, coming up on two years in September. Um, it's my first true high growth startup. Uh, I work at, I've worked at small companies, but not high growth B2B SaaS companies. Um, my background has been in marketing analytics operations at, but at much larger companies. And so like Tableau and Getty Images and Workfront, um, and a couple of other places where I, you know, basically led ops teams. And so I started as an analyst. Um, kind of morphed into operations. And then this is my first time running like the full marketing suite. So there's a lot of things that like when Mark and I are talking about, I'm like, never done this before ever. Like a basic event, like now what's an event? So <laughs> I'm learning as I go too. So Mark, how do you assist? How'd you land here? What's your background? So I started out in consulting, uh, moved over to work for a marketing agency, uh, like a mid-sized marketing agency. That was my first foray in the startup world. Uh, I've worked at two different startups uh, prior to working at Metadata. And I actually was a Metadata customer at my last company. And when I started using the product, I was like, what is this thing? How do more people not know about this? Uh, Jason, ironically, on the cab said that they were going to be hiring for a marketer and they were looking for referrals. And long story short, I'm here and thankfully it worked out. If he was smart, if he was like a smarter, I'm just kidding, smarter marketer, you wouldn't have accepted. No, <laughs> no, he didn't know what he was getting into. No, but honestly, his his candidate experience had to be one of the worst. Like he actually, if I remember this right, didn't somebody tell you like, no, that it's like Jason was giving the job to somebody else, even like in the middle of no. it or something like that. I mean, it was just yeah. like, it was horrible. It was like, I felt so bad. Yeah. I was like, thank God he's <laughs> actually still excited and willing to join. Cause have I, had I been through that, I'd have been like, what the hell's wrong with these guys? Like, what is, do they know what they want? Like, do they... <laughs> So no, it was, it was, he was patient Wait, so and it was good. It was somebody good rejected you and Mark, you were like, don't worry, I'm still here. Just waiting. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> that might be another podcast okay, okay. episode. We can do a separate yeah. one on That's HR hiring process. a truly process. dedicated person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, truly dedicated. He knew he, he knew what he wanted. He knew what he wanted. And for anybody that's listening, I um, obviously we uh, we at Chili Piper are a customer of Metadata as well. So I'm very familiar with Jason and Mark both, um, as well as their product and what it can do for marketers, which is all the more reason why I wanted to have them on um, to help share a little bit about more about Metadata specifically, but how you guys are running marketing for Metadata as well. So I know that you guys in the last, what, six months or so, maybe longer, have been doing a lot of work around your overall messaging and positioning and has landed in this larger form of a strategic narrative for your company, your vision, your values, et cetera. Can you talk us through, I guess, a little bit more about Metadata first, what you guys are and the pain points you solve for demand gen marketers? And then how that morphed into this framework for uh, repositioning your messaging. We, um, we're a B2B marketing platform, demand generation platform. Um, the way we like to talk about it is we help marketers get closer to revenue. But that's, you know, that's kind of what we say. Um, what we do, we really help with audience targeting, like laser targeting, uh, campaign automation and experimentation to revenue, and then lead enrichment kind of on the back end, uh, helping you understand who your best customers are. Um, so Mark did a lot better job at explaining it on our website. So just come and take a look at it on our website. Um, 
I'll say something and I'll turn it over to Mark, just kind of frame it up. You know, from when I started at Metadata, like my idea was I want our marketing to be the kind of marketing that I would have wanted. So as a marketing ops leader, I was the buyer. I was like the recipient, of a lot of these like outreaches and marketing and et cetera. And I quickly realized like what I don't like. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of the things that were, that are like inauthentic or just like, because as a marketer, you can really see through those things. And what I did like were the companies, you know, and a lot of the buying that I did didn't come from like seeing an ad, being so compelled by that ad to click through, being so compelled by the website that I signed up, you know what I mean, for a demo, and then being so compelled by the demo that I became a customer. Every software purchase that I made had some other element associated with it. I either heard about it from somebody else, heard about it on a podcast, friend used it, colleague used it, I've used it in the past life, you know, at a different company. There's all these just things that go into it that aren't these digital like, you know, activities and signups and things. And so, and wanting to build a relationship with people and being a trusted authority. And that's what it, really what I saw with companies that I did a lot of business with is they had a perspective on things that were different. They did a really good job at offering really good content that was helpful without any kind of like no strings attached. You know, I could tell that they were, they just, they were so good at what they did. They just wanted to make other people better at it as well. And then just kind of like authentic, like they were really authentic, who they were good with, who they were good with, you know, good for. And that's what I really wanted. That's how I wanted Metadata's marketing to come across. I wanted us to be like that nerdy kid in college that like was funny and witty, you know, but still very much a nerd, but they knew what they were good at. They were an expert in some things, but they could still be funny, a little self-deprecating. People will still wanted to hang out with them came to them, you know, like trusted them when they needed certain things. Like that's who I want metadata to be. And so Mark's really kind of, and I just teed up for Mark a little bit, you know, when it comes to like the messaging and positioning and how we've really started to mold that, that's, I think that was the starting frame. I hope that you wrote that up in an official document to Mark, trying to explain to him that we need to become the nerdy kid at the lunch table. <laughs> and then Mark just like took it, it and ran. It was actually in a document. It actually, <laughs> it actually is in a doc. Yeah. One of the first docs I wrote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing that I would add to what Jason said is if you were to look at our old website, you know, towards the end of last year, what was on there, it wasn't wrong, but the messaging itself is very tech um, specific and it was very inwardly focused on us as metadata. And what we tried to do going through this entire process was just making it more about the people who use metadata. Uh, and how it speaks to them, not how it speaks to us. So, uh, it was not easy. And then I think the other thing, and we'll probably talk about uh, this more here in a bit, uh, we originally just wanted to start with the website and then go from there. And if we would have started with the website first before we actually knew how we should be talking about ourselves, uh, we would have totally messed this up. So thankfully, we did not start with the website. We started with the positioning and the and messaging so first. so when you were coming in and you had fresh new eyes coming from a different org joining the metadata camp, was it something that you picked up on and noticed that, oh, the website is like talking all about us. It needs to be repositioned. Was this feedback you were getting from your customers? Like what kind of sparked this kickoff for this massive project? Yeah. So I'd say mostly me annoying Jason saying, hey, I think we need to re <laughs> revisit this. And I think once I annoyed him enough, that's when he finally said, all right, like stop annoying me, go work on this. Uh, but for me, it was more so 
just thinking about how our end users talk about the platform and how it makes their lives easier. And that wasn't reflected on the website. And I had, I had like a, I had a different, so the hard part for me was I had just got done with what I thought was a redesign of the website. You know what I mean? So I'd gone through by myself, you know, and working with like a couple of, and so I was like, oh, we're, you know, it's good. No, like, why would we have to do this? It's been less than a year. It was a pretty big change, but mostly design there. And that's, and I think that's where I was having a hard time agreeing to it at first. I was like, well, we just went through this. But what I didn't understand is like most of the change really needed to be from a messaging and positioning standpoint. And then supported with like the design part of it, you know, like the design had to support that. Um, and I'm a very technical person mm-hmm. too. So like, I have a hard time, like when I see tech, I'm like, well, yes, it's right. You know what I mean? Like, yes, it's, it's, it's correct. Um, and man, like when I read something that I write and then Mark fixes it. I'm just like, oh, I can't, I can't do it. You know, it's just like, it's a, it's a, it's a skill I don't have. And, um, he gets me all but the now facts I know, that I need. So now that I know, <laughs> now I know I don't have it though. You know what I mean? So now that I know I don't have it, I also told Mark, I'd like to work on it, but now I know I don't have it. So I don't have to go through any cycles in the beginning you know I mean? of like thinking, is this right or not? I can just write it the way I think about it. And then like, yeah, you can fix it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mark's your fixer. That's no, that's everybody needs a fixer. I am not a copywriter either. Uh, we have a really great director of content here that I worked with in a former life and loved her so much that I tried to recruit her to come here and now she joined, which is great. Um, because I always just say like, I'm not the words person, like words are not my friend. Um, <laughs> and thankfully words are her friend. So I think that's, uh, that's a good partnership to yes. have for sure. But Mark, when you're looking at this and Jason's giving you the facts and you're like, eh, okay, cool. What is your actual like tactical process? We're saying we have this huge like behemoth of a project in front of us. This is like all the things I need to do or like the order of operations behind like getting some of these things done, accomplished, changed, et cetera? Uh, that is a very good question. I would say it's not to over plan from the get go, but it's to have some sense mm-hmm. of plan and then be aware of the, the fact that you're going to probably correct this plan very quickly. So we put together an initial plan. And then I think what we started with first was I met with as many different um, people along kind of the spectrum that I'll explain here in a sec of long-time customers, new customers, uh, prospects that are in pipeline, uh, late stage pipeline, uh, early stage pipeline, B2B marketers in my network, and then uh, a very cold audience that we tested on a site called winter.com and trying to see just how they are talking about the platform in their own words uh, from one end of the spectrum all the way to the other end of the spectrum. And from there, we started to identify what were the kind of the common threads that people were talking about consistently. And once you start to see those things coming up, you know, multiple times, then it's like, Hey, we might be onto something here. Let's continue to explore that. So it was open. It was like structured in a way, but it was very open-ended to start. And then once we figured out where we wanted to take it, that's when we kind of really got specific on how the plan needed to change and how to get there quickly. Yeah, no, I love that too. And the fact about it being open-ended, I think that Normally, marketers are very risk averse when it comes to open-ended surveys or open-ended questions because it's harder to analyze. It's like more manual labor for you on the back end to compile and like resort that into actual trends. Um, but it's so much more telling when you just, you know, kind of tee it up and then don't say much of anything else. Leave the ball in their court and let them fill in the blanks because it's uh, very telling 
what they say versus what you think they should say. Um, it's almost never what you're thinking. Like we started uh, like an internal product marketing doc of like before we went through this entire process, what we thought it was going to be or kind of what I thought it was going to be. And Jason added some feedback and we were like, all right, you know, I'm sure this is what it's going to end up as. Shocker, it did not end up like that. So we wouldn't have got there without actually talking to uh, customers. And then and how do you keep this process going, right? So you've just done this like major overhaul. How do you continue to innovate mm -hmm. and adapt your messaging as the market shifts, right? I think all markets are probably ever evolving, but for some reason, maybe I'm biased. I think ours is like hyper evolving at like two times the speed of anything else. Um, and so staying relevant and staying innovative is like, got to be a part of your mix, right? Yeah. And that's the other thing is that it's always a moving target. So even though we went through this whole messaging you know, exercise to say that we're done or don't have to worry about it for, you know, six months or 12 months is just <laughs> being ignorant. So I think for us, what we're trying to do is continue to talk with marketers uh, that are customers and non-customers and just see, you know, are the things that were huge pain points for them, you know, six months ago, are they still the biggest pain points now or are they changing? And you know, we're moving up market, so we know the messaging will change over time, but you just have to talk to a lot of people and see how is that change progressing. And that was an important part. I would say that was an important part for us to go through because we have a technical founder, right? Mm -hmm. So Gil is our founder, very technical. And so, you know, a technical founder is going to, they're going to err towards what they would want to hear about a platform. You know what I mean? Like, so what interests Gil about a different platform, not ours? are the specifics, you know, the metrics and like these kinds of things. And so the way that Mark did this analysis, yes, it was like listening to calls and things, but it resulted in data still, you know what I mean? So where we could like still present something and be pretty confident that, hey, if we make this shift in messaging, it's going to resonate because we've had, we've heard enough people say it and we've kind of counted it. And it was a big exercise. Like, you know, he had to list, listen, like literally listen to each of these calls. I don't remember how, you, how many he did, but. I, it was so valuable yeah. too, because I hadn't done enough of them nearly at all. And so I learned a lot of stuff. So, you know, Mark could listen to him. He's getting what he needs, but then he's also able to kind of summarize them and also kind of give me what I need, like the summary of these without me having to spend all that time. Yeah, exactly. I think I got carried away on jumping into this narrative question and didn't even really, normally I start by asking um, interviewees kind of what the depth and breadth of their roles are, because this is a demand gen chat podcast. And normally I just interview directors of demand gen. Um, obviously that's neither of your titles. However, everything you're doing is very directly related to some of the things that other demand gen holders do. Um, but what, what, I guess, I mean, obviously you're a team of two, but still getting an incredible amount of work done in front of you. How do you guys divide up your roles or like, where does your lane stop? Cause it seems like your website product research, like you're a little all over the place already. So I'm just curious to understand kind of your lanes or your roles. We do what we're good at. Sure. That's basically the, that's, that's our starting point. You know what Makes I mean? Sense. And so, um, and I, I've always said, I want to be a practitioner leader. Like no, never do I want to be the leader that's just like, you know, telling everybody what they should do and not having a perspective on how it should get done. Mark over the last year, he's learned through either me telling him or him seeing things, what I'm good at. I've learned kind of the same thing. And so what it's resulted in now is this like basically every two weeks sprint planning. Mm -hmm. And we basically just take a list of our priorities. What do you want to work on? What do I want to work on or have to, you know, and then we just go through them. Here's some new things. And usually a given project will need a little bit of both of ours. So it's like, it's rare that 
just he'll take a whole project or I'll take a whole project. It'd be more common for him to take, for Mark to take a whole project and be able to do it. Less common for me to, again, because if I'm writing anything, it's going to go through Mark. Um, and then also like Mark holds the keys to creative in some areas as well, because I'm not good at creative either. Uh, um, you don't want Jason designing things, but I love him. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Nope, you don't. You can get by with me writing things. You definitely don't want me designing things. That's for sure. I don't even know where to start. Like, yeah. So, um, but then we ended up like having some specific, you know, like, and as we start to get a little bit bigger, I'm having to do more CMO type things. You know what I mean? Like parts start to become part of like communities and, and then even though it hurts me sometimes, like we're doing more customer marketing, you know what I mean? So like having to bring in, so like we can't spend every dollar on acquisition, you know, trying to do some things. So I've been focused recently more on like short-term demand. So like as Mark is building this content engine and this great website, that's getting more and more demand driven through it, we still have these short-term needs. And so I've really been focused on that. I seem to be okay, you know, like and good at kind of drawing some of that and I can use my title. And I hate to say, I sometimes I can use my title as VP of marketing here to bring other marketers in, you know what I mean? It's just easier than a, maybe an outbound rep or a salesperson or Mark even as a director of growth, you know? So trying to leverage that as much as I can. Um, and I will say we're supported by like a lot of people, you know? So like we do have support. We have um, a gentleman by the name of Jerome Okutho, who's our ops person. He's out of Canada, found him through Upwork, just amazing. Probably spends 30 hours a week with us. Um, the folks at York IE, they're an investor in us, but also provide like PR and other marketing services. Um, Allegert, our designer, you know, and we're just starting to now, we're starting to partner with some new agencies too, to get some more support as well. Um, so it is a big, you know, it's the two of us, but it's like the six of us, you know, it's gonna, it's really gonna be, you know, probably four, four full-time equivalents, I'd say. Mark, what I miss in terms of how we break up work. I mean, Mark ends up doing a lot more of the product stuff, you know, the things that really require that messaging and positioning stuff. Yeah, I would say like one of the big advantages that we have right now, and it's also going to be the most difficult thing to maintain, but I, I know that we want to is the speed. So it's very easy to go to one person being Jason whenever we need to discuss something and make a decision <laughs> really quickly. And I think that's why we've been able to get so much good stuff out into the market. Now, as we grow in team size and we're definitely growing, like we don't want to slow down. So how do you maintain that? Like the short answer is I don't think we know just yet, but that's what we're going to try and hold ourselves accountable to, um, is maintaining that speed and quality yeah, bar. You figure that out. You should come back on here. We'll do another episode because I think yeah. every startup <laughs> wants to know that, right? Growing pains. Like everyone says that yeah. we have growing pains and I think it's because of this, right? Everyone loses that. Um, quick feedback loop. And it's just like a super, um, it's a super powerful thing. And I think that like, if you've got that startup itch, it's part of it, right? It's what keeps you going back to like sign up for more startup problems is like, you just want that speed. You want that ownership, that autonomy to just like own it, get it out the door, ship it, figure out results and innovate and move forward. That was one of my hardest problems at like the bigger companies I worked at was just the pace of yes. things, you know? So like Mark and I have been able to get out more content, more campaigns with the two of us supported by a couple of people, then I was able to get out then an entire, I'll just call them out. Then no, I won't. So, <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to do that. <laughs> then one of the three previous companies I worked at, like that had 80 marketers, mm -hmm. you know, 80 marketers. And the problem is all these 
and especially the, the culture at that place, like all these just routes of approval, mm -hmm. approval decisions, like it just got hung up in there. Like we had enough people to do way more than we're doing now, but oh my goodness, like I can't tell you. And I would just get physically upset, you know, I mean, not in front of people, but I would be like, really just like how I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. You know, I just got to the point where I was just like, I just can't. And you, you also mentioned something else, like being able to see the impact of the things that you're doing. Like when you're working at a big organization, sometimes it's really hard to like, so when I pull this lever, $5 comes out of the back end, you know, like you don't really know what you, you pulling that lever is doing, you know? And so being in, in a growth role at a small startup, like ever, almost everything you do either has an, in, it has some kind mm -hmm. of impact, you know, good or bad, but you could tell, and you could tell fast and iterate on that fast. And then you know, it's kind of the right, right thing for yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. My quick, uh, hot, I want your hot takes from maybe both of you, or maybe you collectively share the same um, thoughts around in-house versus agency. It seems like you guys are um, pro agency, but I want like your hot take on why, or like at what point in your growth, maybe that will shift. This is how you know it was not rehearsed. So we'll see how close we are in agreement here. Um, having worked at an agency before and then, you know, having worked at three different software companies since, uh, it's easy to see why you don't want to go crazy about hiring people when there's so much uncertainty about the trajectory of the company. So I've been at companies where we hired way too quickly. Uh, it, we hired ahead of where the market was and then had to go through rounds of layoffs. And mm -hmm. that sucked as an employee. And I know that for our leaders, it also sucked as well. So the flip side of that is, you know, working with agencies, it's much easier to, um, you know, break up with an agency when you say, hey, you know, we're just not at a point, you know, where mm -hmm. we can continue working. Sometimes it's a 30 day out. Sometimes it's a 60 day out. But that's a much easier decision to make than having to, you know, let people go. Yeah, I would pile on that. Like, um, I... I'm a fan of agencies and not at the same time, you know, so like there's definitely a place for agencies. We're in that place right now um, because we're growing fast and, and I want to push that gas as fast as we can, but not to the point where we're hurting people. You know what I mean? We're like hurting people's lives. And that's like when it comes into like hire, fire, like I'm not about that. I'd rather prove out that we need that position first through agency or freelance and then roll it in once we've proven it and once we've grown big enough. Um, the other thing too, is we're only partnering with agencies that like are top class, you know what I mean? So like, we're, we're not looking to save money by, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like, let's, let's find the cheapest resource we can to do this work. It's where's the highest quality. And it has to be agencies that believe in the same thing that we believe in first and foremost. So like we first start there, like, do you believe in the way we're doing marketing and can you support, how can you support us in that? And then it has to be agencies that can take a corpus of work and get it done without having to ask Mark and I all the time, like, what about this? What about this? Direct me on this, direct me on this. They've got to be like people we would hire basically internally. Now, the thing I look out for in agencies is this is all, I've never seen this not happen, except honestly, by Agency York, they're doing a really good job at this. Usually it's like this, you get all kinds of attention and all kinds of like great work and then just fucking just boom. Like, and then all of a sudden they think they put, they put you on autopilot. They think that they're in there just like all the, like, no, that will not work. So, Hey, agency starting to work with us. I'm going to send you this podcast so you can listen to it. <laughs> so don't fizzle out at any point or else we'll be done. Like you got to have constantly new ideas, constantly like figure it, thinking that this is your company to grow. 
I just uh, haven't seen it yet. Again, York actually is doing a pretty good job. Kate, nice job keeping the, the gas going. But I've rarely seen like agencies really keep the gas going that long. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping to see different, different, different with the ones we're partnering with. The, the one thing that I would add is I think there are things that I'm more comfortable letting agencies do. And oftentimes that's the, the those are the types of things that may not require a total understanding of the business. Uh, because when you're leaning on agencies to do things that require like a really solid understanding of the business, I'd rather have that position in house. Yeah, no, that's a great point too. Yeah. There's definitely roles where you need that. You want that knowledge, you know what I mean? That they just get to just to stay in the company and not to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think those positions might even shift a little bit per company, but I could definitely agree with that. Like there are certain things here too, that we would just never even consider outsourcing because it just needs to be owned in-house. It makes so much more sense uh, because you have to be tied to the product or like our product is constantly being updated or changes or tweaks or whatever. And so it's like being closer to that feedback loop is just more critical than trying to deal with like, outsourcing. Like to get specific, content is one of those things. We talk to big content agencies out there. Uh, we're having our third uh, full-time hire join us in a couple of weeks here who's going to be our, mm -hmm. our head of content. And that is not something that I would feel comfortable, you know, completely handing off to an agency just because I think it really does require an understanding of your business and your audience. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with that. I agree with that for sure. So we talk about outsourcing. We talked about a little bit about metadata. Um, obviously you guys are running demand chain campaigns. So I would love to segue into campaigns you all have run for yourself, for your own business that you found success with. And then if you're willing and you'd like to be, what did you use, Jason, earlier you said self-deprecating. If you're willing and you'd like to be self-deprecating, which seems to be on brand for you guys, I would love to also know about your failures <laughs> as is. well for some campaigns you've run that maybe just like didn't turn out as good as you thought they would. Like, and it only pains me because I keep talking, I've talked about it forever. It's conversation ads. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. conversation ads have just been like the tactic that is just above and beyond everything else we've run from a demand gen perspective has been the go-to. Now, I will also say that because of the success of that campaign, we've dumped a lot of our money into it. Like a big percent of our working budget we've put into that campaign because of its unit economics and how it works out. So we haven't put a bunch of money behind other campaigns. So I'll just say conversation ads for an entire like full funnel ad experience into a demo like it's just worked wonders for us. We've tried other flavors. We've done a scavenger hunt conversation ad, which is kind of fun, but you know, a little bit less targeted. We we're doing one with you right now, Kaylee. We're trying to test that out. You know, what does it look like coming from a customer's perspective? So we're trying new things in conversation ads, but we've done a lot there. We recently, and I'll, I'll let Mark talk about this one, but we recently started to put money behind our content. So we finally, like that was our plan all along is really hook people to metadata through our content and, and not just solely relying on organic SEO to make that happen. Now I'll talk about a failure real quick. It's a pretty basic one. Um, but I think it was very clear. Um, we, we ran gift card campaigns through conversation ads, right? So get a hundred dollar gift card. If you take a demo, you know, if you meet the qualification criteria and take a demo with us, we tried to run that through two other channels that failed miserably. We tried to run it just through a standard ad targeted still at the same people, but you know, they see it in their feed versus in a LinkedIn message. Like maybe that's the difference. It's not coming from a person. It's coming from a company, like some black box. 
And we tried it in email too. And that one did come from a company, but didn't work out, you know? So there was something about for that one, the combination of the offer and the medium, you know, that somehow really worked versus just, it definitely wasn't just the offer. That's for sure. So that was one of the failures we learned. Yeah. I've got another failure on the offer front. And I, and I think, uh, Again, this is one that I came up with, and I thought that it was, at the time, one of the most creative offers that we had come up with, and I was ready for this just to knock it out of the park, and it tanked. And that offer was uh, a subscription, an annual subscription to uh, DGMG. So we ran it past him. Dave Gerhardt was cool with it. I mean, it was free marketing for him at the end of the day, uh, and it failed miserably. I thought it was a very creative offer for our audience, and we launched it, and we looked at the data and it just did not land. No so, way. Conversation ad or was it in the feed? Well, we tried to uh, in the feed as well. Yeah, we did. That's right. That's right. Um, so yeah, so that was interesting, but like also knowing that you're going to, um, bomb, you know, with quite a few of these offers, yeah. it's okay. Uh, as long as you're still finding, you know, good offers every now and then. And that's something that we're trying to figure out now, uh, with our own platform of, you know, call it product like growth, call it whatever you want. Like what is some stripped down uh, platform kind of add-on, if you will, that we can get people hooked in the door. Uh, so we'll see what comes of that, but that's kind of where our head's at now. I'm very shocked. I'm like, I feel like I need to like pick up my jaw off the floor about the DTMG offering being a total failure. It goes to show, and I say this all the time, like internally, we also obviously are selling to people who have a similar title to myself and to the rest of us here on this call. And so I'll always say my opinion and I'm like, but Sample size of one is just yeah. my opinion. So that's why I'm like, I say something and then I just back it up with my like disclaimer that I'm like, I'm just one person. Like I'm not speaking for the masses. So um, we put together offers here too as well that don't don't take off. And it's because I am a sample size of one, right? Like I would have totally fallen for your TGMG offer, but the mass population did not agree. Thanks for right. not converting. You, I was already a customer, yeah, no. Mark. You didn't serve me an ad. <laughs> so I think the other thing that we are... I'd say somewhat of in a lucky spot to be in, but I would definitely advise other companies to do the same thing is we have a customer advisory board. And what we do is for a lot of this, I mean, you know, this, um, Kaylee from being on it, we'll tease out things to that cab and get initial feedback. And, you know, there are times where we think we have a great idea and they see it and they're like, you know what, it's just not that strong. And that's great because we learn that without having to put any, you know, dollars behind it and make that mistake in market. So definitely would suggest anyone to, to start up a cab at their company. I would agree with that too. And I think the way that you guys run your cab is quite unique. Not that I've had an opportunity in my career to be on a handful of cabs because I definitely haven't. Um, but I think it's like tight enough to where, like we've talked about in other threads too, right? Like your marketing feedback loop is really tight, but your cab is too, where it's like a small group of really, really dedicated humans that believe in you guys and believe in your product. And that feedback loop is honest, but also quick so that you guys can get something of meaning or something of value and then just ship it or can it if it's like not going to work. Follow up yep. question, Jason, to a point that you made earlier about content, running content in your ads. Does this mean that you guys have not been running a content offer until now? You wanted to wait until like your content re reach a certain threshold or a certain quality before you started running that in your media mix? We would test, you know, we would do some. So like a big piece of content, we would definitely put some promotion behind. So when we did our benchmark report earlier this year, that was a big content piece and then supported by a pretty big Yeah, campaign. talk about that. Talk about what that was and how you took it to market because I thought it was pretty brilliant. A software that helps B2B marketers do advertising. We have a lot of data, right, about how ads perform on LinkedIn and Facebook that all run through our platform. And so um, 
what we were able to do is take our, all of our platforms data, anonymize it from a customer's perspective. We turned the customer name into a industry, sub-industry, number of employees, you know, like the, the enriched data, not a company, but not their name. Um, and just exposed all the data. I actually put it into a Google data studio report and just freely gave it to everybody ungated. I think that one was ungated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, was it Mark? Yeah. Yeah. Most of the, it was rarely do we do something that's gated, but, um, and it was a little, I was a little nervous about that because you don't know, like what you want is you want that to be a lead gen activity as well, because you want people to look at it and say, wow, look at these other customers in my same industry and the CPLs or cost per opportunity or opportunity size or whatever they're getting. Um, but you also run the risk of somebody coming in and being like, well, wait, like these are in averages. You know what I mean? So I've got like outliers on both sides of so the average is not as good as I'm getting, but like in reality, we could really beat them or not, not them, you know, beat their average. And so it was a little risky. I don't, I don't know. Cause we don't gate our content. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, do we have opportunities associated with it with people downloading it and then coming in later? I don't know, but, um, but it got a lot of good press. You know, nobody had ever really released data like that. And we plan on doing it either answering interesting data points, using our data, licensing our data to companies that can make sense, you know, have like maybe more resources that can make sense of it, turn it into you know, other research reports, mm -hmm. you know, we're looking at other ways of, of using it. But, um, but yeah, so, but kind of coming back around on the content side, that was the kind of content we promote before. Now we're actually putting money behind even just like blog posts or that yeah, mainly blog posts, you know, so we've got this expert content series that Mark's worked on called no fluffs given. And we've had like experts in their fields, you know what I mean? Like come and write about what they're experts on. Um, and on our behalf, we put it on our website and ungated, but really popular and really useful stuff. And so we promote that stuff. And really the intention is if our potential buyers are out there seeing our ads about content that's going to help them. Again, we're building that relationship. We're building the trust. We're aiming for a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. We're not aiming for you to see that content and be like, oh, wow, they have an interesting perspective on gating content. Let's buy their software. But they have an interesting perspective on gating content. Oh, they're smart. You know, oh, I see. They have an interesting perspective on attribution on, oh, they're actually helping me. They're a demanded company, but they're helping me with product marketing. You know, they're helping me write better headlines, you know, like, who are these people? And then for that to just kind of seed in the mind with enough like sprinkling of who we mm -hmm. are. So it's not just like, oh, these guys are a media company, like helping B2B marketers, but like sprinkling who we are and what we do. And then when I was like, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm not, I'm not making my demand gen goals or like, I'm just unhappy with the way that demand base is working. Bold. This is getting bold. <laughs> they come to us. And now all of a sudden we see organic demo requests from the website rise that we can't attribute to anything else. And so that's really what we're looking for. I mean, this came up last Friday, um, a senior director of demand gen at a series B company that everybody listening would recognize told me you guys have the first blog that I've seen that helps with tactical things that I can do to run better campaigns. And he was interested in picking up, you know, a conversation with exactly. metadata. So that happens over time is building relationships. He's the exact kind of person that we would, you know, we see could benefit from using metadata. And what he reached out and pinged you like on LinkedIn or something random, right? That's how it always happens, yep. right? Yep. And so then you have this like random screenshots you've taken from people, right? Around the internet that have like 
Right, that, that never will show never up show up in Salesforce, Salesforce where you're like, yeah. look, this thing is working and here's these random five screenshots that prove that yeah. it's working. And that's like our new form of attribution yep. that yep. like CFOs do not care about. Yep. Um, we don't have a CFO, so I can say that. But like CFOs <laughs> do not care to see your random screenshots. Um, <laughs> yeah. However, that's like what you know but is I think, working. Like how we've done it is we use those as the leading indicators of whenever we're feeling unsure that, hey, when we're seeing these things, uh, these comments from people, that are really, really positive, that's when the light bulb goes on for us that, hey, you should double down on this and continue doing it so that you can then start to prove it out quantitatively. It's like, it takes time and you're not able to prove it out quantitatively right exactly. away. Exactly, exactly. And I think too that like, um, sometimes hearing radio silence is also very telling. We've done that a few times. We launched something and it's like, oh, wow, normally I get a couple likes, like three likes maybe. <laughs> this this post took didn't take yeah. off, so... No one cares about what we're saying. Cool. Check that off the radar. Like we don't need her, you know, sometimes we start on LinkedIn, specifically organic LinkedIn. We'll try something, right? Test it in the market that way. If it gets a lot of buzz and reception, shares, comments, whatever, and like strikes good conversations, then cool. Like maybe we should turn this into something greater, do a blog post around it, et cetera. Or if it sits there in radio silence, no one likes it and it's like not showing up in anyone's feed, then it's like, cool, cool. Maybe we save some time and reallocate resources elsewhere. Because um, obviously that's not a pain point for anybody. Um, but back to Jill's point about um, putting things out in the market as well. It's like they say that only, um, you know, 1% or whatever of your actual TAM is in buying mode at any time. So it's, it seems very obvious. Like, why isn't everyone marketing this way? Um, but I think it all goes back to like attribution. They have specific goals and that's the only way that they can really measure yep. them. You know what I mean? Is Yeah. And so if they don't gate the content, I mean, there's, there's just a transition period. Yep. You know what I mean? There's a transition period from like doing the old school way of, get, of gating the content, getting the leads, seeing how it matriculates down, seeing these really low percentages. There's this faith-based period. You know what I mean? Of like, and I've, oh, I've seen it. Oh, it requires trust and your CEO yes. to trust yes. Jason. <laughs> yeah. And faith, you know, and some amount of faith because you're basically saying, yeah, we're going from this old way of like capturing the lead and seeing how it goes through and the percentages, et cetera. But we're going to do, we're going to get less in the top of the funnel, we're not going to know where they all come from. You know what I mean? Right. They're all going to be, they're all going to be organic or direct. So like, good luck. They are though. Like that is yep. exactly it. Right. Yep. And your actual yeah, yeah. top line number is going to go down. Yeah. But you got to get through that. There's like that. Cause then on the other side of it, once you make it through it, then it's like, God, yes. Like this is okay. This is the right, the right kind of leans coming through the right channels. But most of the time they don't make, and also, here's the other part that I talk about a lot. The sales org has actually been overstaffed for this kind of motion. And so it becomes this, like, you know, almost like you have to fire salespeople to move into this other better natural motion. Because in the previous one, sales is doing a lot of the marketing. You know, you're just getting a name of somebody and then you're handing it over. And then sales is sending them content and they're giving them this and they're asking them questions and they're doing your job mm -hmm. for you. So when you move away from that, you're like, well, I want to give you better leads, but you're overstaffed for it. It's just a hard case. It's like a, it's an impossible conversation because then the marketer is trying to work with the head of sales. who's a type A, usually like very strong personality. Like, Hey, maybe too many salespeople on your, no, I don't show me that, you know, like, and then they, and then it's a chicken egg thing. Show me, you're going to give me better leads first. And I guess you could do that, but then salespeople are like, well, we're not doing enough activities. And then, so it's just this interesting, like biological entity, you know, that makes it harder to shift away, but you got to do it. You got to go through a couple sales cycles, you know, of time. And then if it doesn't work, you know, the, 
the people think the thing that people get worried about, and I've sat through this too, is that if I focus on this other way and I leave this other one alone, six months later, I'm not going to have done any of this and we're going to be in a even worse situation. I just have, I don't think that's good. I don't think that's the case. You're in a worse situation. You're in like the worst situation now, you know? And so, you know, probably can only get better. All right. Jason with the motivational speaking. Mark, do you have thoughts on that too? I would say like one thing is, and it's not to say like everything is all, you know, rainbows and sunshine here as it relates to, you know, the campaigns that we're running and us hitting our targets. Like there are times where we feel or we notice that, hey, according to the man bottle, we're actually mm -hmm. slipping a bit. So we'll go all hands on deck for, you know, probably two weeks ish at a time and knowingly drop some of the other stuff that we were making progress with to make sure that we get back either on track or ahead of where we're supposed to be. Uh, because we're always looking at that demand model. And if you slip too far, then you get to the point that Jason's talking about where it's the point of no return. Yeah, no, that's a great point too. Um, because I feel like, yeah, it's really easy to talk about the upside, right? But in reality, it's like, look, no model is perfect, right? And so we all have months where we're like, eh, not going to meet our goals this month. Like we need to do a quick pivot. Like what's our pinch hit for now? Like what's our quick win or what can we optimize or you know, what yep. ball did we completely forget about and drop because we were over here looking at the next shiny thing and like forgot to do these things that, you know, we're supposed to do every month or whatever. Um, and I think that's just part of reality. Judging by how good Jason's hair looks right now, you can tell we're in a good spot with our numbers. Whenever we're not hitting our numbers, it tends to look a little all over the place. <laughs> That's like your real-time pulse, like almost... It's more Emmett Brown. It's more Doc Brown. Yeah. Yeah, it's more Doc Brownish. Yeah, when we're not different. Yeah. Evan's good. It's like, oh, sometimes I get on a call too, and I, I've, it's the first time I've seen myself, and like the first call I get on, I'm like, oh, good. You can't take me seriously on this call. So give me a minute. Or you just like all of a sudden your camera goes off and you're like, okay, hold on. Let me get myself together. Oh, that's good. It's like a real life mood ring yeah. um, based on your hair. I'm okay with that. I'll start, I'll start do, doing a better read of the room next time and make sure your hair is in check. Um, okay. I always like to wrap with this question. So who is another marketer that you're following in the space that you've read their book, that you've attended a, an event or a podcast or something that they are putting on? that you've learned something from that you'd share with others that are listening so they can go and take a listen or follow them on social. Mark has to go first. I'm really bad at this. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give like a kind of a basic answer to this question, but uh, obviously awesome with April Dunford helped me so much when I was going through the positioning and messaging uh, part of earlier this year. So that's huge. And then I think the Dave Gearhart book that he's coming out with in the fall mm -hmm. founders brand, I think, or founder brand. Um, I'm pretty pumped for that one. I'm going to cheat. I'll, I'll first start by saying I don't listen to enough podcasts or read enough things. And so that's something I'm actually trying to get better at. And Mark has seen me trying to progress. Mark has seen me actually try to do that because every once in a while I'll listen to a new podcast and he'll know because I have like three new ideas. He's like, oh, you listen to a fucking new podcast again, aren't you? <laughs> so I need to get better about that. But and it is actually, I really enjoy it. Like I'm listening to DG's podcast. And I got like a lot of things out of it. And so I think I just need to pick and choose the right ones. But I would say like anything that helps you get closer to revenue, you know what I mean? Like, so anything that I'm listening to, you know, just that's like a marketer that takes on like revenue related goals, I'll listen to, I'll listen to all the time. But like, I'm trying to get, I think like more specifically, Anyone that can talk about how brand really impacts 
demand. I think that's just like, people have talked about it a lot. There's some people that understand it. And then a lot of us like me, the ops, like people that grew up in the ops world that have to like really understand that. And I'm just starting to understand it a lot more, like just how critical brand is. And so I'm trying to listen to anybody that like has a perspective on that. Yeah. Cause it's hard, right? Especially like even me in my career, I've been a performance marketer my entire career. So like two plus two always equals four. And in this game of brand equals revenue, right? It's like a weird mind shift where you're yep. trying to adapt to like, you cannot rely on the numbers. Attribution is basically a joke. Like you're going to have to get over it. And like Jason said, like have a little <laughs> bit of faith or whatever it is you need to have to just like suck it up for a period and then it'll land you in a better spot on the other side. But it's so hard. Um, and especially like I've always been the numbers gal, like in any org I've landed in, somehow I've always been the numbers person. And here we are, of course, in line with what, how you guys are doing demand gen and how you're running your marketing org. And we are doing a very similar structure and it's just very hard, but it's so worth it. And it's, it's just not two plus two equals four. And I don't know how else to explain it. Yep. It's not. And so like those of us that start on that side of the brain, you know what I mean? Like we've got to start to, you know, pull more on our intuition, on our gut, on like the intangibles and like really understand that that has just as big, if not a bigger impact as these like little digital interactions. It does. You know? Right. And it, it all compounds. And I think too, that like in this role and marketing in this way, as opposed to marketing in like the waterfall model world that we used to live in really just shows that you have to be close to your customers like closer than ever to your customers. So like even us in this world where we're marketing to people who have similar titles to ourselves, we're still a small sample size. And so as we've talked about in the rest of the episode, it's like, even if you think your gut says one thing, vetting it with a smaller population of other people who look and think like you or have similar responsibilities within their role will get you further. The closer you are to them on a recurring basis, then you just trying to gut check and guess your way through it. Quick plugs on where people can follow you guys if they wanna follow you after the episode. Jason's going to give his oh, TikTok handle. We're doing TikTok? <laughs> Do no, it. definitely not. <laughs> That's funny. I don't have one. Yeah, uh, this is it. <laughs> just LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm on, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn all the time. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn too. And then you'll see me lurking around in uh, DGMG or some good content with John Benini sometimes too. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for your time. This has been a lovely chat. I feel like there are tons of great takeaways that people can go that are actually actionable. They can implement within their orgs today. So thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you next time.